0: Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure
1: the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marcia Brownlee, and with me again today is Ashley Chance. Hi, Ashley. Hey. Uh, and our guest today is Sarah Tingy. Hi, Sarah.
0: Hi, how are you doing, you two?
1: I'm doing great. I'm super excited to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Yes, thanks for the invitation. I'm excited.
1: Uh, so, Sarah, before we dig into some questions, um, I was going to ask Ashley for a Charlie update. Um, Ashley, how's Charlie today? Charlie's her three-month-old baby.
2: Three? Oh. I, added, I looked at the calendar and she's 35 months old now. Oh.
0: Thing. Oh. My daughter, yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. How fun. Yeah,
2: she's 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 something else. She's doing good. Um update today. She's just still so chubby and
0: cute, basically.
1: Chubby and
0: cute. Yes. Thank you. Ashley, Charlie Chuck, sh- she's still chubby and cute. <laughs> Ashley,
1: is she your first yep. She is, yep. First. Oh
0: man, congratulations. That's so fun. Thank you.
1: Um, so Sarah, what's in your freezer?
0: What I have in my freezer right now, I've got a whole mix of things. I have some elk in my freezer. I have some local beef and pig from a family that farms right down the street from us. Uh, I think I have one piece of wild caught, um, Alaska salmon from a friend of mine, that I went to college with who now fishes up in Alaska with her family. And I organize a uh, fish bulk buy from them every year down here in Mancus. We're just about to get new fish for this year. So that's why I only have one piece left. Mm. I have a bunch of like frozen roasted tomatillos, a bunch of frozen coconut lentils for Waylon, who is my 18 month old. Gosh, what a smoothie making supplies. I I think I think that might be covering the majority of what I, I don't have a bunch of frozen beef bones for making bone broth.
1: Oh, that sounds awesome. I, I was, I was going to come back to the one piece of salmon left in your freezer because that would like be fought over in my family.
0: <laughs> so Waylon's going to get it. Like, Waylon's uh, going to get it. Yeah. Ashley probably already understands this concept. And Marcia, do you have children? I do not. Do you not? Okay. You can probably imagine too, but all of a sudden you're like, oh no, of course I'm going to give my last piece of salmon to Waylon. Waylon loves salmon. It's like not even a question anymore. So. eliminates a lot of that like sort of partner to partner squabbling over last goodies when you're like oh of course let's give it to this little human
1: as long as oh your gosh. partner feels that way too
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, well I feel like as soon as either one of us plays the card of like well Waylon wanted it you're like oh well shoot even if you did really want it you can't argue with that you just feel like a jerk you're like that's oh awesome. the toddler wanted it okay <laughs> <laughs> too bad <laughs> that's awesome
1: yep. Um. Okay, so let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about who you are.
0: Currently, I spend the majority of my time at Alpaca Raft when we're located in Minkus, Colorado, where I do a little bit of everything. I feel like I technically my title might be operations director, which I think we had to come up with for some sort of bank application at some point. I don't even know because it's not, it's not very representative of what I do. Like on a day-to-day basis, it can be anything from looking for both or other items for donation requests or fundraising um, events that are coming up to helping staff with any variety of hiccups or um, challenges that have come up that are keeping them from doing their job to um, helping research and create like new benefits for our staff, to assembling furniture for people, to coordinating with cleaners. So it's, it really is a um, pretty pretty wide-ranging job. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I'm like sort of like a Jill of all office type trades around alpaca, but I'm also a mom and a wife and a sister. And Maybe you have called me a hunter angler. Um,
1: so I do have a lot of follow up questions, uh, that um sparked my curiosity. And one is uh, so you have Waylon, how old is Waylon? Yep,
0: Waylon is 18 months,
1: 18 months.
0: Yeah, How's that going? <laughs> uh, he's going great. Actually, you know what? I think he's 19 months now. I'm losing track of the time all of a sudden. He's great. It's a really fun age. I feel like this might be my favorite age so far because he just started walking. And he's like, he's such a little character. He's so curious and he likes being outside. And he has a, like a rock collection that he's formed outside our front door. And I mean, he's just a hoot on a day-to-day basis it is so fun to see what he gets into and what he's interested in, in doing. So he's a real, he's a real highlight.
1: (laughs) How do you, so, oh gosh, see, now I have the problem of picking the next question and where I want to start. Um, Let's start with alpaca raft. So I guess give us an overview of what alpaca raft, what an alpaca raft is and how you got started in rafting. Let's start there.
0: Sure, sure. So uh, alpaca raft. In a nutshell, what we do is we build pack rafts, which are like small inflatable boats for backcountry travel. Now in recent years, we've seen a lot of people using them in the front country and side country as well, but initially like way back in the day when we first started building them in like 2000, it was for a sort of a niche group of folks that were using them in the deep backcountry. country. Um, and certainly I'm gonna be clear that like Alpaca did not invent the concept of pack rafting sometimes i hear that attributed to us which is absolutely not the case but um what we did do i think was modernize the concept and bring it to a place where it is accessible to um more and more people Um, so we let's see here really the founding of the company probably even started back in like the late uh late 90s my husband um, Thor did like a 700-mile trip across the Brooks Range. And there was, you know, other trips that led up to that trip. But that ultimate trip, he took what was available on the market at the time, which wasn't inflatable, and it was technically a boat, but not super seaworthy, not really designed to do the type of trip that Thor and his tripmates, like, put that boat through. Um, and they spent a lot of time repairing boats on the side of the river, a lot of time, right on the edge of like hypothermia, um, mm-hmm. while they were paddling. Um, and when he got back, he's like, "Man, I love this concept of landscape travel and connecting rivers that are on the maps together via overland travel and being able to carry my boat equipment with me." But this, this tool is not going to work. Like this, we gotta. I need a better boat. Um, And he came home and talked with his mom, Sherry, about that. Sherry has a long history in the outdoor industry and outdoor design. She's owned a couple of her own companies doing design, anything from like dog mushing suits to she's designed for a few other outdoor companies. She's done mountaineering suits. Um, And so she was able to take sort of that wealth of design and sewing background and she just needed to tweak with it to turn it into something three-dimensional and and like inflatable three-dimensional, you know? And so that's kind of how they got started. And it was originally building boats for, you know, Thor and his friends and then people that they knew in the community. And Thor and I met in 2001, um, right when things were still very like garage level. And I sewed inflation bags and stuff sacks on my mom's quilting machine in... Our basement in Anchorage and it you know it never I don't think any of us ever thought that it was going to be full-time work for us let alone you know the 45 people we now have here that are working day in and day out building boats for people around the globe um
1: yeah that's cool um and I didn't know that Sherry had that kind of design experience I mean she does yeah a super yeah,
0: cool. So fascinating. Like, she has such a long history. She used to, um, have you ever seen like one of those old, like, Warren Miller ski films? Yes. Where, and they'll, inevitably, there'll be someone in there that has this crazy ski suit on with like design and applique and crazy colors. Like, chances that that could be one of Sherry's suits is not unreasonable. She had, she sold her like custom ski wear it's called Design by Sherry in like Alta and Aspen. I think she had like one or two other shops and she just designed custom ski suits with these crazy patterns all over them for people. Like that's how she got started.
1: Um, Where did you grow up? You mentioned living in Anchorage. Is that where you are from? Yes.
0: I I was born and raised in Anchorage.
1: Very cool. Um, And wow. So it's to go from Anchorage to Southern Colorado. That's a big shift.
0: It is a big shift. It is very different. Like, I think my heart is definitely still up in Alaska. When I moved from Alaska to go to school, I never thought I I I wasn't gonna go back. Like it it's it's one of those things that you look back at as an adult and you're like, oh, life just sometimes takes you directions that you never saw coming. And it's not that you don't have a choice in the matter, but you it's so funny. I like I look back and I'm like, oh, there's choice one, choice two, choice three. And in hindsight, you can see that each of those small choices was taking you farther away from the direction you thought you were going. But at the time, you don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of how I feel about ending up in Southern Colorado, whereas like I was going down to finish a degree and I was going to be back up in Alaska in two and a half years. Like there was, and still I fantasize that someday I will live in Alaska again, that my, that that's not a forever gone part of my life. I just love it up there. Did
1: you ever read Choose Your Adventure books? Do you remember those you know, I file? do remember
0: those I do yeah and I remember them being like really stressful it's funny you bring that up I would not call myself a really great decision maker um I had to be use some pretty firm self-talk to keep myself on the rails sometimes and not like spin out on the pros and cons of various things uh, so choose your adventure books I did read them but I could find, I can remember even as a child getting kind of anxious about Christ making the right choice, oh. even though it's like a paperback that you can like go back and just yeah. do the other one if you want yeah, to. But
1: yeah, no, but I mean, there are consequences, right? Like, cause what if that's uh-huh. not your favorite story, but that's the first one you read. And so now that's the one that stuck with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally.
1: Ashley, do you, did you read Choose Your Own Adventure books?
2: I did. And I, I yeah, I wanted to read every single ending. Like I didn't want any yep. potential ending to be unknown. Yep. So I identify very much with with that uh approach. And that's how I feel about life too. It's so funny hearing you talk about your plan of like this is just a stop on the way and you're gonna be back in Alaska because that's very much how I thought about the southeast when I went to grad school in Mississippi. I was like, I'll just go do this quick and then I can be on the the west or back north and here I am in Tennessee with a baby shopping. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting to see where your life ends up and like what what that balance is between having plans and then also being able to like kind of gracefully let go and let life redirect you a little bit without, I don't know, being so, I don't know, like connected to what you thought was going to happen that you can't enjoy the direction you're going. Like that's something I have to remind myself of sometimes of being like, well, it's okay. Like I know you thought you were going to go do this, but You know, this is for sure just different and unplanned. Does not mean bad.
1: No, it's the it's the journey, not the destination. Mm. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, What's your background as a hunter angler? Tell us about that.
0: Well, growing up, I did mostly fishing. I would say, and I would I would still think of myself as more of an angler um, than a hunter. Say, my dad, my dad hunted a lot every year. gosh at the risk of him listening to this and being upset i'll say he never he never invited nor encouraged my sister and i to hunt growing up um but he has since we've been adults which has been um nice so i'm trying to think i think i went hunting for the first time in my early 20s um and i probably started with ptarmigan um when i met thor he had a lab and they would go hunt tarmac, and I went with them. And then he also hunted sheep. And so I went on a lot of sheep hunts, which I loved um, when we lived in Alaska. It's such a beautiful way to see the mountain terrain in that state. Um, but never never on my own tag. I just always went along to to glass and spot for sheep and just pack out. Um and then I, can't,
1: I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like hunting sheep in Alaska is probably not something people do alone very often.
0: No, I don't think probably. Well, what do you mean like alone like solo? Yeah uh we have a, We have one friend who who hunts solo pretty frequently, but outside of that, I think you're right. I think people are usually at least in a group of two, if not, you know, three or four.
1: Uh. Yeah. So anyway, where did it go from there?
0: Where did it go from there? So when we moved, we were in the Pacific Northwest for a while, and then still, I hunted like upland game birds there, maybe once or twice a year, um, you know, chuckers and pheasants and quail. Um, and then I can't remember my first time I went hunting with my dad for a large game animal. We went um, hunting for elk in Northern New Mexico. And I shot a cow elk with a rifle, which was pretty exciting. Um, that was actually, that was actually really exciting. I had a, I had a great time on that trip. Um, it's just such cool
1: land to hunt. And I imagine completely is. different from what you were familiar with in, in both Alaska and the Pacific Northwest.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to, let's see here. When did we move here? In 2015 to Southwest Colorado, uh, maybe 2016. And we've been hunting elk in our zone ever since, unsuccessfully, although we've had great (laughs) times out in the backcountry. We've been unsuccessful. Um, We, Thor's shifted to um, archery and been learning a lot every season about hunting archery. And I was pulling muzzleloader tags because that overlaps the archery season here backup but every year we learn a little something about like oh we should have done it this that way <laughs> <laughs> he got a <laughs> Thor just got back from from hunting um and he he had a couple opportunities that he didn't take and he's like up oh, he's like yep I'm just gonna file that away in my rolodex of information on what to do better next time yep. um but i'm going back to northern new mexico um to hunt in i guess mid october um, for elk because I, I think that's third rifle for them there and I pull, have, a, have a private land tag uh, for somebody that my dad knows down there so I'm excited and hopeful yeah that, that will go well my brother's coming down my sister and so the three of us are gonna go
1: oh well, that'd be lovely yeah Cool. Oh, yeah yeah well, well let us know how it goes mm. we always like to hear post-hunt stories regardless mm-hmm. of what happens <laughs> we always <laughs> yeah. like to hear post-hunt stories
0: I'm just hoping that I get to hear one elk bugle. Like, honestly, yeah. if I get to hear an elk bugle when I'm out in the field, that is, like, enough. I'm like, oh, it's a successful trip. I just love – it's one of the, the most amazing things, I think. I um, agree. Yeah, yeah, and sitting I in camp of at dusk or the early morning, yeah, listening to elk bugle, I'm like, I don't even care if I see one hardly. I just like listening to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, uh, listening to an elk bugle is something – in and of its own, like there's, there's something about that that can't be, um, compared to anything. Uh, and I find that anytime I'm on a hunt, no matter what I'm hunting, as long as I see the species that I'm pursuing, it feels like a success, <laughs> even if I don't harvest it. If I can, yeah, eyes I on agree. It, yeah, then,
0: even, even yeah. seeing a lot of sign of the animal, yep. like, like, sign that they've been there recently to me is like pretty exciting and fun, but like, I just you know, sometimes it feels like going hunting when you don't see anything and you're like, well, what's different about it than just going on a backpacking trip, you know, or something like that. And it still feels different to me, just the way you like interact with the landscape, how quiet you are, the amount of time that you're just still watching and listening and observing. It's just a totally different way of interacting um, with the outdoors than just going hiking or backpacking. And I like it.
1: I, yeah, same here. <laughs> There's, there, Yeah, you're just a part of the landscape and and mm-hmm. attuned to it in a way that's hard to achieve when you're not in pursuit.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: I so I want to so one of the reasons that you're here to talk to us today is mm-hmm. to help us get to know the Arctic Wildlife Refuge in the time ah. spent in that mm-hmm. beautiful space. And so I would love to know like uh, how first how what is your experience in the arctic wildlife refuge um and uh and tell us about that like what have you done there how have you been there uh but then i'm also hopeful that you can describe it for us and kind of paint a picture of it for those of us um who haven't ever even been close to it
0: man i went to the arctic refuge for the first time in 2015 and you know, despite growing up in Alaska, I had never spent I mean, I think the furthest north I'd been was Fairbanks. Um, I did fly to Prudhoe Bay once, but that's that's an aside. You can just edit that out. That doesn't that has no relevance to anything. It's but close. It's, fur- it's
1: close to it. It's
0: just to the left. Yeah. So for all of them, the and purposes, like Fairbanks is as far north as I um traveled when I was growing up there and lived there into my like early twenties. Um and when we flew in, we flew into the marsh fork on the canning, and it was it was so beautiful, I cried. Like it is one of the most stunning and unique landscapes I have ever visited. Uh, and it was life changing for me in a in a way that I got back from that trip, and all of a sudden, um, like the conversations that were going on about oil development and protection of the refuge, uh, were relevant to me. Like they resonated. I was like, oh wait a second, this isn't just some place. Off the beaten path, that like nobody cares about and doesn't have anything going on there. I was like, this place is is stunning and so worthy of protecting for so many different reasons. Um, and so I've gone back and done a trip there, maybe four or five times. I've I've been back a fair amount for my first time, just only having been in twenty fifteen, and they've all been um, pack rafting trips. You know, overland uh packcrafting either either just like fly in and float and get picked up or most of them involve a fair amount of um backpacking and overland travel as well. Um and two of those trips have crossed across the coastal plains, which are stunning in and of their own. Um right, you know, you come out of the mountains, which are just spectacular and into sort of the rolling foothills of the coastal plains. And you can hike up and get on these like, just sort of like little, little mounds, which and see for so far across the coastal plains and the animals that are out there, the bird life that is out there, the flowers that you see out on the plains, like it's all so spectacular. And so when people talk about it being a wasteland, it like almost makes me teary again. Um, talking about it right now because it is just so far from that. just anything but.
1: Can you say it's now on my bucket list? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. I mean, I think that's one of the, yeah, the number of places that have been added to my bucket list and starting this job and getting to talk to hunters and anglers across the country is just bonkers. But Mm -hmm. um, every time I talk to somebody about their experience in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge, they speak about it in, in, in emotional ways. Yes. And I'm curious if, it, if there's a, a way to put words to that for us. Because especially given your experience in wild places, right? You've been in, in wild places before. You've been in, in nature before. So what is it about that place in particular that impacted you differently? Mm.
0: I think it might be the scale of the space is part of it. Um, I feel like that's saying a lot also from growing up in Alaska where, like, the scale of everything in Alaska feels big and then this feels just staggeringly bigger. Like, if you're flying in, you can get on a small flight and uh, cold foot and be in your small plane for, like, two and a half or three hours getting to where your drop-off point is and you're just flying across open mountainous like landscape um and it's pretty pretty sobering to be like I mean, you're far out there um in a way that i have not experienced in other land like wild landscapes that i've to. you know i've been able to like fly in and get out and not see anybody in 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but not like three hours to fly out there. Um, and that, that was a big part of the, of the difference for me. And I also think that it is the knowledge that there are so few of those large landscapes left that are, I'm going to say, relatively undeveloped. I know that there are developments and pockets and certainly communities out there and evidence of man, but by and large, it is an undeveloped landscape and there aren't many of those left on the globe of that scale. And I think part of it is that knowledge that it, it you know, requires vigilance and like protection and cooperation from a bunch of different parties um, to keep that landscape intact um, that makes it so inspiring when you're there because you know it's not necessarily a given that it's going to stay that way even though you would like it to be.
1: It's so interesting. I was digging into this issue just to get a little bit deeper background mm-hmm. um, for our conversation, and and I think, like, I mean, I think everybody should look on the map to actually get a visual image of um, where the where the Arctic wildlife ref, wildlife refuge is, and uh, you know, it's it's also referred to as the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So if you're googling, mm-hmm. it, you should probably Google that or Google ANWR, um, and it's in that north, that far. Um, Top corner of Alaska yep, the borders that borders Canada. Northeastern
0: corner. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it it was saying that there have been actions taken to protect parts of that area from development since 1943, which is e- mm-hmm. which is like even more impressive when you consider that Alaska didn't even become a state until 1959. So yeah. Yeah, there's been tension in that space for a long time um, about uh, preservation and development, and I think uh, it's yeah especially on the coastal plain it's been decades yep. and an mm-hmm. actual decision about protecting that land or developing that land has just been kicked down the road for about 40 years now
0: yep and there yeah and there there have been scares and then reprieves you know we just got another reprieve with the new administration coming in who have like temporarily blocked um development actions Depending. that were being taken there yeah but that's not a permanent protection so you know the battle fight's on and like i know i can't remember now who said this but you've heard you in conservation you only have to lose once like you you get one loss and when the development has happened it's happened and then you have what hundreds of years If this even if you were like, okay, we developed it now nothing's happening there, like how long for that landscape to like recover from that? Um that landscape and that
1: wildlife and
0: yeah. And I, you know, one of the one of the things that I think gets, gets argued up there sometimes is, you know, people uh I think use imagery of the mountain range right there on the edge of the coastal plains to sort of advocate for the refuge and Opponents will say, well, that's not that's not what's being developed. We're talking about this wasteland coastal plain area out here. Um, you know, nobody, nobody even cares about that. And A, that's not true. People do care about it and utilize it. B, it's beautiful. But C, the other like big impact that doesn't get talked about is just what the impact of the viewscape out there would be, because those the development that would happen out there is going to be visible for so many miles. Because there's nothing in the way of seeing it then, you know, and we talk to people at Alpaca, you know, every year who are buying trips or buying trips, buying boats um, to, because they, they dream of going to the Arctic Refuge someday. Um, we don't talk to that many people who are buying boats or dreaming about taking a trip um, in MPRA, which is the National Petroleum, I think it's the National Petroleum Reserve. I may have to get up at the National Petroleum Reserve Alaska, which is over on the west side of the Hall Road, and it's already been developed. Like, people aren't floating those rivers out to the coast nearly as frequently.
2: It doesn't sound as desirable of a
0: destination, just by the name. Just the
2: name alone. Yeah, Yeah.
0: right, yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's, that's a fact. I think people want to get out and recreate in areas... Um, where they don't see uh, that evidence of development by and large. Uh,
1: can you tell, like, tell it, can you, so, okay, the most recent opportunity you had to uh, raft in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge, you took Waylon, right?
0: <laughs> we did. Yep. Tell us about that. <laughs> oh, gosh, that was so fun. We We went with another family that we know who has a two-year-old, I guess he's more like 26, 27 months, but just over two. And we put together like a 10-day trip on what we knew, thought we knew to be a a mellow um, river up there and thought we put together a mellow itinerary. (laughs) <laughs> and, then, and then didn't have nearly as much downtime as we thought we were going to have. And we were all just laughing at ourselves, traveling with these toddlers in the back country, being like, what were we thinking? Like, of course, of course, <laughs> this wasn't as relaxing as we thought it was going to be. Um, we had a pretty uh, challenging weather forecast when we got up there that delayed half of half of us from getting in. To the back on the day that we thought we were going to get there so just by means of like slow chopping into our trip we lost time here and there and then we ended up having a, a much more hustle hustle trip than we thought um our plan had been to go in and maybe float every other day and then spend the off days hiking and glassing for sheep up there um and then instead We the water was super low where we got dropped off. We had to tow pack rafts full of all of our gear and toddlers down the river for like the first (laughs) twelve miles. So it took us like two days to go twelve miles. And then we got hit by an epic storm that dumped a ton of rain on us, and the river we were on basically flash flooded. It went from. I don't know. There, there wasn't a gauge on the, on the river we were on, but one drainage over the river went from like 1600 CFS to 17,000 CFS in like seven hours. And so we, um, we, we woke up in the middle of the night at this camp we were at and we're like, oh my gosh, Like, what is going on with the river? And by the next morning at 7, it had come up so high, just sort of exploding waves in front of our camp. It went from being this, like, crystal clear, beautiful Arctic river flowing to just explosive muddy water that had spilled over the banks and come all the way. We had to move our tents up onto a tundra bench, um, and we ended up waiting that out for three nights there in that one camp before we were able to get back on the water um, and go but you know what? The cool thing about being out there with kids is like they don't know. Like our toddlers, they were happy as clams. You know, they put them in their rain suit and they're crawling around in the tundra and working on their stick and rock collection and you know doing the things they're gonna do. They don't know what's going on. <laughs> so
1: yeah. how, how, is <laughs> how is your stress level?
0: How's it? You know, we we did have for sure have a few moments where we were like, uh, you know, like, what are we doing? Um, and the other mom and I were chatting after the fact, we were like, you you know, the thing that kept this trip from being like awful and, and kept it like still fun is that we made some really good decisions when we needed to without going into like panic brain mode where we're just like, it's okay. Like we are okay right now. Like we're just going to hunker down here and see what happens. We have enough food. Like no one is injured right now. We literally just had to move our tents Mm -hmm. and are all still dry, safe and fed. And we're just going to wait it out and see what happens. You know, we're not going to be like, oh my gosh, we have to make miles. It's put on this river in this like crazy flood stage water, Mm -hmm. you know? So The day that we did finally get on the river, we boated about an hour and we're like, this water is still moving way too fast. Like the river was moving about nine miles an hour and there was like a lot of sort of hole dodging. And we were, we were all of us like, this is, this is too fast to be on the water with toddlers like we have. Um, And we ended up pulling over and uh, the other mom and I got out and hiked with the toddlers in the backpacks downstream for a while. Um, Well. Thor and paul waited out uh the river continuing to drop and they they picked us up downstream a couple hours later but we were like yeah you know the fact that we like got out and hiked we're all still safe again like there's nothing to be super stressed out about right now stressed out is continuing to try to like stay in the water when it's clearly not a good decision like if one of us drops a kid overboard or something we'll never catch up with them again going nine miles an hour that's that's stressful <laughs> and then you're like okay I'll make a better decision okay
1: <laughs> Oof.
2: Ashley you ready to go yeah. oh my gosh I'm just like yes let's do this actually I need to know okay this is an aside and I don't want to take away from this story because I want to talk about the refuge as much as possible um, no. but what backpack do you use? I'm trying to figure out how to wear this baby on my back during hunting season, and I need to know. <laughs> well, what you this use. hunting season, so you have a three month old, yeah? So she's three okay. and a half, and so it's it's gonna be about two and a half months until I can put her in like an honest carrier. But right. the flip side of this is that I lived in West Africa for two years, and in a village, and there's babies on the back much sooner than that, in just a piece of cloth. Um, I was
0: going to say, if you tried like wearing her like in a wrap, because that's what I did with Waylon, his fur. Well, actually, that's not true. I did a bunch of hiking with Whalen before he was like eight months old, wrapped on my front. And that worked really well. Like I could wrap him and put him on my front and carry him just like snugged up because he couldn't hold his head up. And then I could still carry a backpack. Um. But then... Yeah. When he, I'm trying to think, I think Waylon was finally having like enough head control that we were like, okay, we can put you in a backpack, maybe sometime around six months ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. And we have an Osprey frame pack, which has been great for carrying him around, which I specifically hunted down. They used to make a higher volume one that I got so that we could take him backpacking and on overnights and be able to carry enough stuff in it to take him. Um, So that's worked really well for us.
2: I've heard good things about the Osprey and I'm
0: shopping for one now. Yep. Yep. Nope. I, it's been, it's been a really great comfortable pack that has carried his weight um, really nicely. I was sort of sad when he grew out of the front carrier like the front carrier being able to have him on the front so I could have that and my backpack on at the same time. Um, But you only get that for a couple months. (laughs)
2: I actually called Osprey this week and told them they need to make a camouflage version of that pack because I know so many other women that have used it hunting and it's like
0: blue and red. Yep. where There's Ours is red. I will say that you can get it dirty enough eventually that it, <laughs> is, it, it is not as bright a red as it is right out of the box because ours, ours is looking pretty dingy in comparison. I was in a store the other day and I was like, oh, that's not what our pack looks like anymore. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's a good hack. I'm using it. Uh, yeah, you just got to scrub some mud in it, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's cool. All the, or like still a, a, a blaze orange one or a camo one. I think there's going right? to be a market for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Blaze orange, I feel like you can have away with two. Mm-hmm.
1: I like the idea of having the baby on front and the pack on back. It balances yeah. out a little bit.
2: Oh, it works not so well. Not conducive to bow hunting, though.
0: And that's not
1: conducive to that's bow that's
0: hunting. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, I Yeah, I was going to say, the other really nice thing, Ashley, about the uh, is I feel like it sets down really well, like it has a super stable base. So as long as you can get them kind of into the slope on a, you know, I mean, not, you don't want, you don't want the backpack at an angle itself, but usually you can find kind of a flat spot that you can kick in, even if you're on like an angled slope a little bit, it's pretty mm-hmm. stable. Like, it's great. Like, Waylon is now... I don't know, 28 pounds and has yet to be able to shake his way enough that he can sh- knock the pack over. So
2: Wow, that is impressive. Yeah,
0: no, that's good. We
2: yeah. are not we are not sponsored by Osprey, but maybe we yeah.
0: should do. <laughs> I don't know. Mind, so.
1: They want to break into the hunting market. Now's their chance. Um, oh, I had a question and I can't remember. So hunting with Waylon, like, is that like – uh. Okay, I think this is a bigger question about recreating with yeah. a toddler and a partner, right? Like when do you take Waylon out hunting solo um uh and do the three of you go out together?
0: Um no, I do not take Waylon hunting solo by myself, but that's because I don't hunt solo. Right. Like I am, okay. I am much more of a sort of a communal one other person hunting type person. We did take Waylon hunting last year um, when he was, I guess he would have been eight or nine months at that point, And we did like a lot of sort of glassing and looking for elk. I guess, I guess we never took Waylon hunting at like, you know, sunrise, um, <laughs> we did more like late dusk kind of looking around and scouting for elk, but this year, I think that that would be a little bit harder. I think we might've just entered the phase of like, it's not really realistic to take him for the next, uh, I would guess probably a year or two. I mean, who knows what it'll be like next year, but like this year, he just wants to like, you know, crawl around and pick up sticks and does not want to be like held quietly in your lap just looking around, you know, and he wants to ask you what everything is, that, 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 Mm -hmm. you you can't like, you can't communicate with him right now. Like, Hey, I need you to be quiet. That's not, (laughs) (laughs) he's just not going to listen. No, yeah, totally. (laughs) I can (laughs) do it till I'm blue in the face, but like his comprehension of what I'm asking him to do is not there. So I think, I think this is a year where Thor has done a lot of hunting on his own. Um, I'll go hunting on my own later this fall. Uh, I think we're going to maybe try to get out and go, like, sort of backpack scouting for an overnight here in one of the next two weekends. But in terms of, like, if we actually think one of us is, like, if Thor really wants to go hunting with the bow, I don't think Waylon and I are going to come along with him if he's actually doing that. Cause it just, he's just not... He's not a cooperative trip partner in that uh, sense.
1: He's, it's so interesting to me how they are until they're not, and then they will be yeah. again. <laughs> right? and they will it's be like again. So, yeah,
0: hard. then there becomes some time, probably I'm guessing in the three to four range, where you can like chat with them, and and they reason with them ju- just enough for, um, for, for,
1: for <laughs> the exact right period of time, right? Like for an hour. <laughs>
0: yeah to be able to go and like yeah no is it going to be the same no it's going to be completely different than if you were out there on your own but you can do just enough that they can get a sense of it and maybe you maybe you go for 45 minutes from the car and that's as long as it lasts and that's just that's just like okay um yeah i think we're i think we're now in the year and a half year to year or two before that happens again
1: so I've been thinking a little bit about this lately, and I would love your insight because obviously you're not uh, afraid of getting out there and after it with the kid, um, and neither is Thor. And it's like you're talking about your experience um, with your dad, and mine was very similar. Like he hunted, uh, but didn't take me with him when I was a kid, and I and and I never asked either when I was a kid. No, so it didn't think, occur to me exactly. Like,
0: it wasn't it wasn't ever even something that was on offer to the point that it would have occurred to me to ask if I could go.
1: Yep. And it it just wasn't, uh, in our awareness that it was a possibility on either side. And I think there was a shift in that somewhere, um, where it is in people's awareness. It is in dad's Mm -hmm. awareness. Um, it's in daughter's awareness. It's in everybody's awareness that this is a possibility, um, that country's presented. And so, you know, I hear awesome stories and have for a long time about, um, dads who take their kids out hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, um parents who take their kids out hunting together. But I'm thinking like uh, uh, one of the barriers of getting women engaged in outdoor recreation, which um, here includes hunting and fishing, is that Mm -hmm. they define leisure time differently. Um, And I think especially for uh, women who have children, like going out with the family on a family adventure while fun and rewarding in so many ways is not necessarily leisure for a that lot of women not. because they're, <laughs> they're still, um, you know, they're, they're, they're in charge of everything um, yep. and and making sure everybody has the snacks that they need. Everybody has the raincoat mm-hmm. that they need and things like that. And so I think my question is, um, like that's a lot. That's a lot to to plan for. It's a lot to yeah. carry. And how can partners best do that together so the burden doesn't fall on one person?
0: You know, I think there's, like, a lot that can be said around, like, how you split up that load so that one person isn't carrying it all. And even if you do have, like, that 50-50 split or, you know, 60-40 or whatever it is, being in the backcountry, yeah, with kids is not leisure time. Um, I'll, I'll echo that. Like, that's, it's been interesting. Like, like, we did this awesome trip with Waylon in the backcountry, and I came back more tired than I have ever been coming out of the backcountry. Like, normally, I go on, like, a backcountry trip, and I am refreshed when I get out. Even if, even if the days themselves are hard, it's like, you know, it gets dark at night, and you're like, I'm just going to go to bed. You know, I'll put on like a book on tape or just go to sleep early and I'm going to sleep way more hours than I ever do in the front country because that's, you know, what there is to do. And I come out feeling great. And in the back country and with kids, I was like, just, you know, wailing. Waylon's going to do what Waylon's going to do and get up whenever. And you're like, oh, there's no like downtime, just reading your book with a cup of coffee or, you know, reading your book in the tent or just mellow chatting with other adults in an uninterrupted conversation for yeah, two hours like in the middle the kids, of totally. in exactly the it all the day. So I just don't want to, I just want to say like, as we talk through, like what can we do to make it easier to get out the door? Like, I don't want to paint this rosy picture of like, oh yeah. And it's going to be so relaxing. and fun. Like it is still, it's still tough. And I think like, I don't know. I feel like it's important to acknowledge that. Cause I also run into people who, you know, feel like they see other people who are like getting out there and doing it and thinking that there's not, like it's not hard or that they're not tired. And then they feel badly about the fact that they're feeling like it's hard and they're tired. And I'm like, no, I think you just, Realize that you're gonna. It's gonna feel hard, and you're gonna be tired, but you want to go anyways. Right. Like even if you, even if you figure out how to split the split the work up. Yeah. Um,
1: like say say more about that though. Like what? Uh, I I mean I imagine there are a lot of answers to this question, but why do you want to go anyways?
0: Because I love being outside, and it makes it makes me feel alive, and like the version of myself that I like the best being outdoors. Um, And I want to share that with Waylon and give him, like, give him the opportunity to experience the outdoors like that. Um, It's, I think, where Thor and I also often have the most fun together is outside in the backcountry. And I don't want to give that, I don't want to give that up, even if it's, you know, sort of like a bigger lift to get out the door. Um, So I don't know, how can you split things up? Thor I have a pretty natural split in what we will get ready heading out onto a trip any count like Thor is much more on the prepping of like the hard gear and getting all of that packed and I tend to do more like the food prep and things which ends up being a good split I think.
1: Ashley are you burning up with questions?
0: I just
2: I mean yeah for another time certainly because I have so many of them but I just want to say thank you for for being so honest about I just love the way you said it like it, it may be exhausting and maybe even sometimes not fun but it makes you feel alive and that's why you do it yeah and I think I mean, that that's important
0: I'll give you guys an example it, it, because I, I think it can also be really easy to be like oh yeah I get outside with my toddler we have a great time it's awesome and it sounds like it's all unicorns and ponies and I just am motivated and make it happen which is not the case like this past weekend, Thor was out elk hunting for like six days and it was the holiday weekend. And I really wanted to go camping with Waylon. And at first it started out with, I was going to get out backpacking and I thought I could do it. And I had a friend that was going to help me. And then as the weekend progressed, I like could not figure out how to get myself packed with a toddler and two dogs to get into the back country even like two miles I was like how am I going to carry all of this and at one point I finally was like okay maybe I'll just go car camping and I still was just I mean I ended up in tears sitting at the house in the afternoon being just like completely overwhelmed with how to get myself and this toddler and two dogs like out the door and I was like maybe I just won't go and I'm like no no I'm like Sarah you can you can do this like just let's like, think through like what you actually need just to go car camping. But it was, I don't know, I I feel like sometimes the lift, even just to go do like a small thing outdoors can feel insurmountable, even to people who are like motivated to get out there. And like, that's just the reality of it. I don't know. (laughs) It's, And we did. We ended up getting out there and going for a night. Um, Waylon, like WWF, slammed the Thermarest as soon as I put it together and popped it. And I ended up having to like phone a friend who was like, "Yep, I have a Paco pad. You could sleep on. I'll bring it to you." And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" So, So but you know, we went and we had fun.
1: How did you end up working carrying a a toddler and a tent and food and water and? all that. Oh, this this
0: weekend when I went by myself or just how have we done it in the past?
1: This weekend when you went by yourself.
0: Oh yeah. Well, this weekend when I went by myself, this is how I ended up like bailing into just car camping. So I didn't really carry my gear anywhere. (laughs) It was We just like rolled up and I pulled, pulled it out to, you know, this like kind of like open spot and set up, set up tent. But you know, it's like setting up tent takes her because you're like, oh gosh, don't crawl into that. Wait, where did the baby go? Where did, it's amazing once they start moving, Ashley, and you can't like set them down and then they're still there when you come back to the same place. <laughs> they start moving. That's, yeah. And you're like, I, Wait a second. I don't understand how you could disappear so quickly because they do. You're like, I you literally, you were just there playing with this like stick and you turn around and you're like, they're gone. And you're like, where did you go? So, oh, yeah. Goodness. You set up the tent in like 10 different steps separated by like 10 minutes a piece. You're like, oh, that took two hours to put the tent up. Cool, cool, cool.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that this brings to mind I've been exploring lately as I Google my way through learning how to be a parent is this idea of like, you know, what babies and kids evolved to need and then what they're actually provided with in our society today, oftentimes very different. And the concept of a village or a, a small tribe, where really it's not just you raising your baby. There's, you know, multiple laps to bounce the baby, and there's multiple eyes to watch a toddler. Mm-hmm. You know, when you turn around for a second, and yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that now it's up to one or two people, twenty four seven, to do this job that really used to be shared among a lot, a lot of other people, and a lot of um, people with a lot more experience. Um, in the case of you know aunties and grandmothers and grandfathers and whatever so I think I just love that how much grace you're giving yourself and by extension everyone (laughs) listening to this and I'm trying to tap into that in my own way I don't know where I'm going with this but that just reminds me of that
0: it is so easy to be so hard on yourself actually it's so I mean I'm I am so good at it like as well being like, you know, why can't I do this? Why, why can't I, you know, make it out the door in like an hour with all of this stuff, like I used to, and just like giving yourself permission to be like, it's going to look different. And like, you're still sort of getting out there and making the lift. And if you can find other people or families that are interested in doing the same thing, which I will say is hard. We only knew one other set of parents who even thought the idea of hunting with their kid was semi-reasonable and they just moved to Alaska. So, <laughs>
1: her, of course. <laughs> Which is Emily, right? Is that Emily?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's Emily. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah but that's, uh, for our listeners, that's Emily Liedergerber who talked uh, with this podcast about hunting while pregnant um, last year. Yeah. Now she's in Alaska.
0: Now she's in Alaska with her awesome, awesome little guy. And so they'll do, their some solo hunting up there and we'll do some solo hunting down here. Um, but it it is, it is helpful if you can find someone else or another family who's interested in going with you and is open to moving at the adjusted pace that you need to go. It's huge because you get that second set of eyes and you get that other hands or just somebody who can, you know, hold and entertain and distract like the littles for just long enough that you can complete um, you know, something in a normal span of time, uh, is is, is pretty awesome, but I don't know. It's like, yeah, it can be so easy to, to look around and only see like all the balls that you're dropping and everything that you're not doing well. And sometimes just to take like that breath and be like, no, I'm, it's okay. Like I'm doing the best I can given like the responsibilities on my plate and like the resources I have available to me right now. Like most of the time that is true for people, like they're doing the best they can and it's going to look yeah. different from week to week.
1: <laughs> to hour to hour. Yeah, hour totally. To hour,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Ashley, do any other questions? No, I'm good for now. That was great. Cool. Then uh, Sarah, I would love to hear a story of one of your favorite moments in the field or on the water.
0: Oh, we did a trip uh, in Alaska three, three years ago, I think, and we connected those four river drainages via um, yeah, a lot of overland hiking. I think we went about 185 miles, but the last day we were in the field, we got into some um, fresh run like Chinooks coming in that we were able to fish for on flies and it was some of the most fun fishing I have ever done. Uh, I think one of the photos I sent you um, is, is of that day of fishing uh, and it is it, it, it is one of my like strongest happy fun fishing in the backcountry memories. Sounds amazing. Yeah it was it was, was great that? There were just So many fish. So impressive. Was that? No, it wasn't actually. It was not in that particular trip, it was not in the refuge. Um, Although there's some fun fishing. Grayling fishing is fun up there. The char fishing when they come in is fun. Um, There's there's really fun fishing in the refuge as well.
1: So I'm going to transition us a little bit to talk Mm -hmm. um, about our, our hits and misses. But before I do that, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on yet?
0: No, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. Do you guys have anything?
1: Oh, I have a million things. I guess that would last an hour and a half longer. So <laughs> I'll hold them for another time.
0: All right. Well, ping me anytime.
1: Okay. <laughs> Ashley, how about you? Um, I identify with you, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear Charlie in the background. She
2: got, Or is that Waylon?
0: No, okay. no, it must be Charlie.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to mute myself as much Oh, oh, <laughs> oh
0: right. no, oh my only, I guess my only because Ashley, you have to send a picture of Charlie over. I'll swap you for one of Waylon. Will do. I've
2: got, I've got plenty of them.
0: I know, isn't it amazing? All of a sudden you're like, I'm not gonna be one of those parents whose phone is only filled with photos of my child and then you're like, Oh well, <laughs> yes, I am.
2: Just kidding.
1: <laughs> I mean, how many pictures it's did really- you have of your dog before you got a kid and then just like amplify that by a
2: million, right?
0: Yep, that's yeah. that's about the right algorithm.
2: <laughs> yes, that is exactly the math behind that. Oh, and then sometimes you get dog and baby photos. Those are the best ones.
0: <laughs> mm. I have a hard time keeping them both still together, like a non-blurry photo. I will say that I had way more photos, like good photos of Waylon before he really started moving. Now I'm like, I have all of these ones where his facial expression is caught like mid-blink and stuff. I'm like, oh, getting harder and harder. <laughs>
1: you were cuter when you were still. <laughs>
0: exactly. Potted plant phase, man. Soak it up. That's- <laughs> well, that's awesome. Noted.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our NWF uh, Outdoors podcast partners. Um, and speaking of the NWF Outdoors podcast, if you've been hearing a lot about things called infrastructure and reconciliation coming out of DC recently, and you want to dig into a little bit more what the heck that means and why it's really, really important for conservation, you should check out the most recent NWF Outdoors podcast where they have a conversation with Abby Tinsley, um, and go into the specifics of, you know, what the heck that is. Um, but we will be right back.
0: Howdy Artemis listeners, this is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org.
1: All right, welcome back. Let's go ahead and dive into hits and misses. So, Sarah, this is our weekly closer, and the question is, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? Um, And Ashley, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? And I always like to give the guests a little bit of a preview of of what I mean when I ask
2: this question, so I put our co-host in the spotlight first. So I have a, a big miss for this week. Uh, we are trying to buy a house, and it's not going well. <laughs> right now we're on the verge of buying a few acres in a camper. Um, I would consider that a hit, but for now it's a miss.
1: Well, when you get the few acres in the camper, let me know.
2: <laughs> oh, you'll know.
1: <laughs> I feel for anybody who's trying to buy a house right now. It just seems like across the country it's a challenging thing to do.
2: Yeah, they keep saying it's gonna change, but the inflection point has not been reached yet.
1: Do they tell you when it's gonna change?
2: No. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. Well, good luck. Not, not, keep not. us posted. Thanks. Yeah. Uh Sarah, what have you been aiming for to uh lately and how did it go?
0: Man, I feel like I should have thought about this before I just told that story about Trying to aim to get out backpacking <laughs> with my toddler because <laughs> that's really the yep. the hit and miss of this weekend was um, oh gosh let me think if I can think of something else so I think that was the big one which I was all geared up it. and had all this momentum to try to get out the door and do like a really wee short like two mile backpacking trip with the toddler and two dogs by myself and I just couldn't I just couldn't make it happen. Um, but we ended up car camping and having a, and doing two day hikes instead and had a lovely time. Um, but it wasn't wasn't what I had built up in my head.
1: I feel like this circles back nicely to our choose your own adventures segue yes. <laughs> <was like> <laughs> earlier in the podcast. We're like, you chose an adventure, you decided it wasn't for you, you went back and yeah. you chose another adventure. But you yes. but you chose an adventure, even if it looked mm-hmm. different.
0: Yes, you know, that is true. true.
1: <laughs> um my I, it, it's a hit, I can't decide if it's a hit or miss yet and it's in progress, so I'll keep you posted. But I um have, I've been doing an elimination diet because I think I have some food allergies or sensitivities that I kind of want to identify and figure out what they were. Have any, have either of you ever done an elimination diet?
2: Oh, no, the doctors told me to do it before and I'm like, not for me. <laughs> Sarah? I,
0: I, I have done a diet where I cut a lot of things out. I don't know if it's a true elimination diet. I did it for about 30 days and I slowly started reintroducing things yeah. in. Um, it's challenging.
1: <laughs> I was so surprised at like, um. Was, I'm, I'm not super far in. I'm honestly like a week in right now, but my thinking capacity like dropped to the floor <laughs> in the first few days as my body was just trying to uh, adjust to what I was feeding it now. I was like, constantly hungry I couldn't think clearly it was it was it was overwhelming and surprising
0: yeah it was a uh, eye-opening for me like what a rut I was in with my eating and yeah. it wasn't necessarily a bad rut I wasn't eating bad things I just was like I have my known go-tos that I know how to prepare and that worked for me and are easy for me to get out the door and when all of a sudden I had to really rethink what was going into those or how I was putting things together yeah it was a huge brain lift <laughs> and I was like oh
1: yeah so I I feel like I'm I'm finally coming out of it and uh I'll keep you guys posted because it's going to be for a while but so to everybody at all connected with me and Artemis if you see some weird things coming out <laughs> it's because I'm on an elimination diet
0: give Marsha <laughs> a little surgery. bit of grace <laughs>
2: Marsha only has oatmeal and bananas to eat, so give her a break.
1: <laughs> not even the oatmeal, man. I've got, I've got bacon and bananas, <laughs> which is oh, not that's good. a bad thing to have. I mean, the food, I'm, not, I'm not struggling with the kind and quality of food that I'm eating. It's just different than what I usually eat. Oh, Anyway. Uh, <laughs> on that note, Sarah, thanks so much. This was fun. I enjoyed talking with you. Um, and, yeah, I'm so grateful for your conversation and your time
0: oh thanks you guys for reaching out this has been fun talking with both of you as well
1: and yeah yeah. thank you Sarah
0: yeah reach out anytime if you have anything follow up for sure yeah
1: Yeah, you bet absolutely we could probably start a series about um, backcountry backcountry babies backcountry
0: babies (laughs) for sure
1: (laughs) All right, to our listeners thanks for joining us on the Artemis podcast we hope you're having a great week until next time be bold stay curious and get outside